I think I was a freshman in college, and I discovered John White, his book, The Fight. I don't know if you've read this. This is a great book. It's like a Christianity 101 kind of manual. Uh, his, his chapter on prayer is, is telling, and uh, see if we might not be able to have related to it, I think, a little bit. But he's talking about when he was just starting his Christian life. And he says that, dissatisfied with the quality of my Christian life and having read some now forgotten exhortation on prayer, I set my alarm for 6 a.m. determined to begin the day with two hours of prayer and Bible study. Have you ever made such a bold attempt? Well, it was winter. English houses are not only dark but miserably cold in the early morning. My eyes were sore. My nose ran. I shivered and still felt dirty even though I had washed and shaved. The silent house seems strangely unfriendly. Determinedly, I prayed for my immediate family, for distant cousins, uncles, aunts, for neighbors and friends. Then I looked at my watch to find that only five minutes had gone by. (laughs) Somehow I had to carry on for another hour and 55 minutes. Time stretched ahead like a cold eternity. I managed to keep on praying for 25 minutes, by which time I had exhausted every possible topic of prayer. A little uncertain of myself, I decided that it might be appropriate to study the Bible. Not knowing where to start, I elected to master Paul's epistle to the Romans. I read with a vague sense of dissatisfaction. How did one study the Bible? I frowned and tried to concentrate, but the words stared back at me inscrutably, coldly determined to hold their own counsel. Somehow I managed to go on frowning and reading for the rest of the two hours, but I was licked and I knew it. I kept going for another two days. But on the third day, I acknowledged my defeat and crawled miserably back to bed 35 minutes after I got up. After that, I put prayer and Bible study out of my mind. It was for saints and martyrs. I was not made of praying stuff, but I felt guilty, depressed, and cheated. For somewhere within me, I had been hoping, even longing for I knew not what. I had thought that by going through my performance of believing sacrificial prayer, my longing would be satisfied. If satisfaction did not come to me, then my faith or my capacity for sacrifice was inadequate. The riches I craved were there. I yearned for them, but I was capable only of so much, so I stifled my longings. You know, that's, I don't know about you, that's pretty common. I, I've, I have discovered those who've walked with the Lord for some time, that's normal. But you would think it shouldn't be normal. Should I? I mean, if we were created in God's image to know Him, and then if we've come to know Him through Jesus and we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, oh my goodness, prayer should be like the highlight of the day, right? It should be like, man, yes, prayer is something that we we look forward to. Something that's fun. But anyone who mentions fun and prayer in the same sentence, you know, we, we suspect their theology right away. Ah, something's wrong. Because we know, experientially, prayer is often one of these things you try to avoid. You know, when it comes to our mind, yeah, I'll do that as soon as I do this thing over here. And by, and we, well, this is how we live our life, and then at the end of the day, we're filled with a little bit of regret. Oh, I didn't get to pray today, just too busy. And the next day repeats the pattern, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Prayer ends up being something we try to avoid. Go, why should it be this way? In Luke 11, one day Jesus' disciples came to him and they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Now, Jesus' disciples were 
prayers. They were religious people. They were Jews, for crying out loud. They prayed at 9 in the morning, at noon, and at 3 in the afternoon. And when they prayed, they most probably prayed prescribed prayers that were written out for them or that they had to memorize in, in synagogue or temple because they were written by the rabbis so they wouldn't say it wrong because they didn't want to say it wrong. And so they prayed, but then they saw Jesus praying. And Jesus, for crying out loud, you sneak away to pray. I mean, you don't just do it at the prescribed times. You go off at other times. And you need to know, Jesus, we followed you just to check. And it looks like you're enjoying this. And it looks like you're actually talking with heaven. And you get this idea when we watch you that maybe your time here on earth on the horizontal is kind of like an assignment. And so you go back to the vertical to get your, get your uh, assignment, and your tasks. And maybe you're like E.T. You just want to call home and you go back just to hang out with, with friends and a different life, one that we don't know anything about. So Jesus... Would you teach us to pray? We have to know that what they're asking here is they're not asking, give us a formula. Give us something that we can say in church when they say, stand up and pray the Lord's Prayer. Give, give us that. They're not asking for that. Teach us how to live. Teach us how to live our lives on this vertical plane because our life's just on the horizontal plane. And we try. We're religious and all. But it's not like you. So would you teach us? And Jesus says, yeah. I'll teach you, which is amazing to me. Now, let me back to last week. We said that part of our assignment, remember this, was to pray every day. You don't remember this. Okay, that's right. To pray every day um, with the disciples prayed, Lord, would you teach me to pray? But let me get real personal for a second. If you knew that Jesus is not going to teach you how to do five minutes over here or 30 minutes here or have a sweet hour of prayer or or go fasting once in a while. That's not what he's thinking. If you know that he's going to teach you something radical, life change, and we're talking a shift in all kinds of stuff, and it was going to change who you were if you applied this, would you still ask him? Would you still want it? I mean, asking, right, it's not our words. It's the depth of our heart. Um... One time someone came to Aristotle and said, hey, could you teach me the truth? And he was blowing him off. Yeah, yeah, okay, right. He kept walking away. And this guy kept coming to him, teach me the truth. And Aristotle finally said, okay, come with me. So they go down to the river, and they walk into the river, and Aristotle grabs this guy and holds him under and keeps him under. And the guy's, wow, he's finally, he doesn't look like he's going to let him up. And this guy's panicking and, and frantic. And finally, the last second, Aristotle pulls this guy up. And the guy's coughing and gagging and spitting. And Aristotle looks at him and says, when you want truth as bad as you want air, come talk to me. I think Jesus might say, yeah, you say, teach me to pray. But would you be willing to say this? Lord, teach me to pray. And if you do, I promise you, I'm going to do everything in my life to alter anything I need to alter to do that. I mean, if you teach me how to live on that horizontal, on that vertical plane, not just the horizontal plane, I'm going to change. I will do. I'm not going to say I'm too old. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm not going to say I'm too young. I'm going to deal with that when I get older. I'm not going to say I'm middle aged. I'm just too busy. I'm just. I just want a sermon. It's all. And I don't even know. I'm so sure I want that. You know. No, no, no. I will change. I will do. Are you there this morning?
Because it's so interesting to me that the disciples came to him to say, would you teach us? I think he wants to teach, but he's only going to teach folk who are going to go to him and say, you know what? Out of the depth of their heart, I really want to learn this. Would you help me to, to live radically like you do, Jesus? If that's your prayer. You know what? He's got an answer for you. And so he, he, he comes. Now, most of us have the Lord's Prayer memorized, right? And you have to, if you're going to be in the Christian circles, because you're never sure when somebody's going to say, let's all quote the Lord's Prayer. Stand up. And if you don't know it, you're going to look bad, right? So you, you memorize these things early on. We do. So we know it. And if you, by the way, if that ever happens, you just stand up and kind of mouth watermelon, I was told. And it looks like you know what you're talking about. So we, we, but do we really know it? That's the question. It's an important question because Jesus was not giving us a, a formula. He wasn't giving us something to recite. It's okay if we recite it. But we know that that's not what he was doing because in Luke 11, he's gonna, he gives us in Matthew 6 and he gives us again in Luke 11, but different kind of words. I'm thinking that if he was just giving us an exact thing we're supposed to recite, he would at least get it right when he said it again later on. But he didn't. He said, change some stuff, left some stuff out. Also, here in Matthew 6, Jesus says, this is how you should pray. He doesn't say this is what you should pray. This is how you should pray. Then he goes into the Lord's Prayer and he says, okay, this is how you need to start. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. If you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to get the CD because we talked about this. And this idea of starting with Father is huge. I mean, this is scandalous because we don't have any Jewish prayer until the 10th century where they actually addressed God as Father. To address God as Father was sacrilegious. I mean, it's like blasphemy. He's almighty, eternal, infinite, omnipresent. You don't address him as Father. They wouldn't do it. So when Jesus looked at these very Jewish disciples and said, when you want to pray, this is how you address him. Father. I mean, just that had to be a, a jaw dropper. And there's a context there. We can't miss the context. This, again, we went over this last week. In verse 7. It says, and when, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And remember, Jesus here is not trying to get folk who don't pray to start praying. Come on, guys, keep going. It's just a little bit. Start with a minute a day. It's not doing. He's taking guys who pray a lot. But they might not understand exactly what prayer is. Their basis, and this is the difference, their basis for praying is their many words. They're going to be heard because they said it right. Because they've lived right. Because God owes them. Because of their performance. And Jesus comes and he says, you want to learn how to live on a a vertical plane? Here's the first thing you got to know. First thing you got to know is that that God is your father. You're not there because of your performance. You're there because of your identity. It's where it's got to start. So he says, our, our Father. But then, really interesting, because Father is loving, and uh, Heavenly Father, I don't know what your earthly father was like, but loving, and committed, and faithful, 
And, and good, we, remember we, Psalm 131 last week, David says that I haven't consi- I'm not proud or haughty, my eyes aren't lifted up, and, and I don't c- concern myself with great measures, things too wonderful for me, but I've quieted and stilled my heart like a child with his weaned mother, or weaned child with his mother, excuse me. Um, and the idea is that the baby who's weaned going up in mom's lap, that's the picture that David paints for us, God's our father, he said, yes. But if you just have that, Father can be sentimentalized a little bit, can't it? It can, if we're not careful, we would never do this intentionally, but we probably know of places where this happens. It can really start to border on blasphemy because it's almost like God is just a big, kind, good, sweet teddy bear sort of thing. And so Jesus, Jesus gives us two words that kind of keeps it in balance. Our Father in heaven. In heaven. The, the Father talks about the eminence in heaven, transcendence. Now, this relationship that we've got with, with God, this, this vertical relationship, unlike anything else, because there are times we're enraptured with his love for us and his familiarity, and he knows everything, and he cares. He's personal God, we call that. And at the same time, sometimes, we may be enthralled with his, his majesty, how big he is. Jesus wants you and I to make sure we know who we're talking to. So we started off in heaven, Father in heaven. Now as we talk just a moment about God's power, we've got to recognize this, right? That we are mortal, there's a God, we're not it, we're finite, we don't understand everything. We cannot understand him completely, you just can't. He is God, he's infinite, and we can't, infinite's not just really big. We can't, but those are the ways we have to think. God has got lots of power. God's got uh, tons of power. Tons of power times ten. Uh, that's, that's a lot of power. But those phrases have limitations. God's got infinite power. So God, it's not harder for him to uh, create the universe as it is for him to watch a butterfly. It takes exactly no more energy for God to sit down as it does for him to, to maintain and sustain all the molecules in the universe. Uh, God can do whatever he wants to do and not lose an iota of energy or power through the process. Now, as we, we think about this, Psalm 19.1 lets us know that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. As we look into uh, the heavens, we can see a little bit of his power. And so think about the sun with me for a second. By the way, I've got some notes here just so I don't get it too messed up. Um, sun, 93 million miles away. It takes eight minutes for the uh, light of the sun to get to us. The, the sun is a huge mass of burning gases. It's, it's so huge, it would take 190 Earths side by side to equal its width. You can put 1.3 million Earths inside it. It is heated by nuclear fusion. It's like Billions of nuclear explosions happening on a regular basis. The, the surface of the sun, they say, is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit at its core. I'm told, I haven't been there, but I'm told 23 million degrees. Uh, the sun takes up 99% of the mass of our solar system. I I'm, didn't ace physics, but I know this much, that uh, a object or an event, that which brought it about, has to at least be as big as the object and event that it brought about. Which means God is at least as big as the sun. Right? Well, think of the, the sun's uh, neighborhood. 
the uh, our solar system. How big is our solar system? We'll go to the next slide. If, if, you, if you go to our, these doors, go to this, uh, that lead out by the canopy, and you go to the doors and you put down a bowling ball, uh, that's our sun. Pretend like that's the sun. Go to the end of our canopy and put a peppercorn. That would be the earth. Then start walking. Walk past the Barnabas house, towards that country fair. You get just about to, to Zuck and then put down a pinhead. That's Pluto. That's the size of our solar system. Uh, they, they say that there's estimated billions of stars in our solar system so that if you counted them all and you could count them one a second, it would take you 2,500 years of continual counting to get them all. Yeah. The, the, the solar system, excuse me, that's our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, where our, our planetary system is found in, is, is something none of us has been outside and able to look back. We've never been able to get out of it. But we think that if we could, this is kind of what it would look like. Uh, again, you see how small, see where it says sun? That's our planetary system. It's stuck, it's too small. You can't even see it on there. Now, outside this galaxy, because we're told there are billions of galaxies filled with billions of stars, uh, Paul Crother he wrote in July 2010, he's uh, the University of Sheffield uh, astrophysicist. He wrote in the Royal a- Astronomical Society Journal an article entitled Scientists Discover Massive Star R136A1 in the Tarantula Nebula Galaxy. Now, I can't tell you that, where that is. Just, let's just trust Paul Crowther on this. But he says this. He says that they have found the brightest star, we believe, in the universe. He says this star is 265 times the size of our sun, but that's not the big deal. This star is 10 million times brighter than our sun. Now, think of a nice sunny day for a minute. If the sun was twice as bright as it is, it would be, I mean, we're talking sunglasses all the time, right? It would be, it would be, we, we, we would fry, we couldn't handle that. And this star is not twice the brightness of our sun. And it's not 10 times the brightness of our sun. And it's not 100 times brighter than our sun. Or 1,000 times brighter than our sun. Or a million times brighter than our sun. But 10 million times brighter than our sun. I mean, how can you even envision that? But I know the physics thing. That, that God dwells in unapproachable light. God has to be brighter yet. Than, than that, more powerful yet. When we, when we look at the universe, we look at what Isaiah said, where he says, to whom will you, God says, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them by name. By the way, you, you name that which you're over, right? Parents name their children. Little girls name their dolls. You name that which you have control over, which you created. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And Psalm 8 says, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers and the sun and the moon and the stars and you set in the tarantula nebula galaxy that you set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Remember our Milky Way, right? We can't even see our planetary system. That'd be the sun. 
you're on that peppercorn. You're on that peppercorn space space and time, just this real short time in the history of the universe. You're thinking, man, I'm pretty small. Yes, but you're not uh, unimportant. We've got to make sure we understand that. When Jesus said, pray our Father, but also remember, in heaven, God is who he is. He's all, all powerful. That's, that's huge for us. And uh, Genesis 18, I, I think this is so, so critical. Because what Jesus is saying here, when you, you want to know how to pray, you want to know how to live on that vertical plane, the priority in prayer or the first order of prayer is praise. Before you get into the give me this, give me that, before you get into the the, forgive me this, forgive me that, before you get into the help me this, help me that, the first order is praise. Because if you don't get the praise part right, guess what? You're going to get the requests all wrong. You're going to get the the temptation stuff wrong. You're going to get the confession all wrong. It has to start here. Jesus says when you want to learn about living on that vertical plane, it's got to start with, with praise. With the hallowed be thy name. And so, Abraham in, in Genesis 18. Uh, God is the guy who's in charge of all the universe, right? God who's holding everything together. Condescends in a huge way. He comes to earth. He, he's, we see a picture of him walking, a soliloquy. He's talking, thinking out loud. And of course, God doesn't think as we do. He was doing this for the sake of Abraham. But look what it says. It says in verse, chapter 18, verse 16, When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? This is huge. What, what responsibility does the God of the universe have to Abraham? Little fallen guy on the peppercorn. But God says, I have to share with Abraham what my plans are, what my heart is. And he says this, Because Abraham will surely become great in a powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him. Is it possible that prayer is not necessarily about me giving God my laundry list, but about a time when God would share with me about his plans, who he is, where is he going, what he's doing. He's interested in my laundry list. He talks with Abraham earlier in the chapter about some things. But there's something so much greater at stake here. And so he says, uh, Abraham, I'm going down to, to Sodom. When the Lord said the outcry in verse 20 against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that's reached me. If not, I will know. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? I mean, what if, God, there are 50 righteous people in the city? I mean, will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? I mean, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Abraham knows Sodom. This is for us, it's some ancient city someplace. He knows the king. He knows the people in there. He's got their little kids there. Everybody in there is not equally wicked. God, what are you doing here? I mean, if you've ever had those questions, you should have. If you haven't, you're not thinking. 
Those questions are not bad. Now, what happens with us sometimes, though, is we have these questions. God, this makes no sense to me. You're unfair. This is where he's going. You're unfair. We get up and walk away. And we say, well, that's it. But Abraham, in our terminology, stayed on his knees. Still had the questions. The questions didn't alarm God. But he stayed there. Said, help me figure this out. And so God says, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Well, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, I'm on the peppercorn, you're God, I got that, I got that. What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to them. What if only 40 are found there? And he said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? And if you follow this, the intensity in, in Abraham, the, the, the grammar, it's lessening. Something's happening in, in Abraham's heart. Then he said, uh, for the sake of 20, I won't destroy it. Then Abraham said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord, when the Lord finished speaking with Abraham, he laughed. And Abraham returned home. How come Abraham stopped at 10? Now, if he was just thinking of his relatives, you know, lots there, but his relatives only total four. Uh, and even if, if the girls have their fiancés, he's including them, it still is only six people. If I was Abraham, maybe he should keep going. But it seems that what happened is Abraham could rest. He didn't have any answers except for this. Whatever happens with Sodom, I don't know what's going to happen with Sodom. But you know what? I trust God. I recognize that universe is okay. God's, God's got it down. He's someone I, I, I can trust. And that day, the infinite, eternal God grew. He grew in Abraham's mind. When we praise, when we pull an Abraham, Abraham didn't have the Bible, of course. It wasn't written yet. But when we come before God in prayer, listening to God's words, which are here. The goal of prayer is for him to grow, for us to see him for who he is. And Jesus says, when you're going to pray, before you get to the request, before you get to the confession stuff, you need to understand a little bit of who you're talking to because understanding who you're talking to will radically shift the rest of the stuff. And if you don't know who you're going to talk, who you're talking to, you're going to be, you're going to come anxious and then you're going to leave even more anxious. You're going to come asking for the wrong things and, and guilted out with your own sin and feeling so horrifically bad and leave feeling horrifically bad. Nothing was really accomplished with this. You have to stop, Jesus says. If you want vertical relationship, you have to start any prayer with an understanding of, of who he is. You need to start that relationship there. I think of uh, uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Remember this? Uh, when the Pensy children get back into Narnia and Lucy sees Aslan and she says, oh, Aslan, my, how you've grown. And Aslan says, oh, dear child, it is not I who have grown, but you. 
And each year as you grow, I will look to you larger and larger. And as we are with him in prayer in his word, God will enlarge. I don't care who you are in this room. You've got a twisted view of God on one level or the other. None of us have nailed it. None of us have perfect sanctification in our understanding of God. We can grow here. And as we grow in our understanding of him, that's going to radically alter and affect our, our prayer life. How we pray, what we, what we believe. Think of Job with me for a second. Job's having a bad day, isn't he? I mean, everything's going wrong for Job. I mean, his children die, his health is gone, his reputation is gone, his wealth is gone. He's sitting on this heap of ashes. He's cutting himself. He's got scars all over the place. He's, he's cutting because he's just, just feeling that bad. And what happens to him is, is his friends come and they're accusing him of sin. And it's, it's, it's just not good. And Job's got his Proverbs theology Well, God, if I do the right thing, good things should happen. I'm doing the right thing, but everything's going wrong. What's wrong with you, God? What's happening here? He's asking this kind of thing. And then at the end of the book of Job, God comes to him and doesn't give him any answers. Still has no clue why the things happened that have happened. But a huge shift and change happens in in Job. Job chapter 42 I don't have this one on the screen, I don't think. It says, then uh, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? He says, surely I spoke of things I didn't understand. Things too wonderful, too big, beyond, beyond my limitations. You said, listen now and I will speak and I will question you and, and you shall answer me. Well, my ears have heard of you. But now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. When when Job spent time with God, when Job saw who God was, you know what? I still had lots of problems. Didn't have them fixed. We know they're going to be fixed. He didn't know this yet. He thought, I'm just going to finish off the rest of my days on this ash heap. Um, But he understood who God was. And you know what those things? I don't understand them. But they're in the shadows. I understand God. He's got it. He's got it. This is why Jesus says, you want a relationship with the Father. You want a prayer. It, it, it has to start here. Jesus was not given us an incantation. A handful of words that if we say these words in the right order, somehow that's going to affect the universe. I mean, that's superstition. That's, that's, that's not, not Bible. Uh, Jesus knows that prayer is not an issue of words. It's an issue of heart. It's not an issue of, am I saying the right thing? It's an issue of longing. It's, it's not an activity. It's a relationship. It's not a meeting. It, it, it's time with, with your Father. And when we don't understand that, we've turned it into the activity and the meeting and the, the just something that we do. Jesus says, you're missing it. You're doing the pagan thing with prayer. Don't go down that road. And so he gives us the first petition. There are six, six petitions here. Every one of them is a petition. And the first one, hallowed be thy name. You've got to keep in mind, that's a petition. He's not just saying, you are holy. He's saying, may you be considered holy. It starts in us, the disciples, in us. The number one prayer request Jesus says you need to have is that I'd be more like Christ that I would grow, that I would know you. If you don't have that down, then you will be like the little girl. Parents, you understand this. this has been, you've been down this road. that says, take me to the amusement park. 
today. And you say, well, you know, I can't go to the amusement park today. Let's go for a walk. Well, what does she say? Oh, goody, that will be fine. No, that's not what she says at all, right? No, no, forget it. I want nothing to do with you. If you don't take me to the amusement park, then nothing. And it's all a big, big mess and bad scene. If she doesn't get what she wants, she doesn't want to be with you. Sometimes we approach God this way, don't we? Give me what I want. You're God. You can do it. Give me what I want. And if you don't, you need to know. you got something else planned. Forget it. I'm not going down that road. I mean, let's just keep it straight, God, who's in control of this relationship, okay? You can control some things, but bottom line here is I'm setting this one. But when we understand who we're talking to, shifts everything. Shifts everything. I think of Psalm 63. Look at the super, see the superscript, the Psalm of David when he was in the desert. That's not inspired, just so you know. The superscripts in the Psalms aren't inspired. But they go back as far as we can, any of our manuscripts. And they give us insight into what was going on when that Psalm was written. Now, look at, David wrote this Psalm when he's being chased by King Saul. He was anointed, he was supposed to be the king. But there's King Saul chasing him with the armies and we're getting ready to kill him. And he's hiding behind cacti and in caves and everything. And he's going, got to be saying, what's going on? But look at his, his prayer. God, you're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. With my whole being, as in a dry and weary land. I had probably a lot of questions about the kingship. That wasn't number one in David's heart. When he came, first thing was, was, I need to know you more. Let me tell you, if you are feeling really far, you, you long for him, you can't have enough of him, you thirst for him, that's, and you feel like he's not right here, but you want him more and more, that's a sign that he's probably really close. That's what David was at. That, that's, when we go through our, our things in life, this is what he's talking about. The next verse, it says, I've seen you, it's still Psalm 63, in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live. It's just, his number one prayer isn't, fix this desert thing, God. Take care of Saul, Lord. Help me to get, you know, fulfill your promises. Get me on that throne. Would you help me to know you more? And Jesus says, when you pray, the number one request, petition, is may you be bigger, God, in my life. May I understand you more. You say, well, I want Psalm 63 to be me, but it's not me. I wish it was, but it's just not me. How do we get there? Perhaps if you've had dinner, you know dinner time is coming, and an hour before dinner you go have some ice cream and a couple of cookies. Come time for dinner, you're probably not going to be real hungry. Uh, what you need, your body needs, is in the dinner. It's healthy, balanced. But you've had the cookies and the ice cream. Sometimes, for some of us, you know what? We've got cookies in our life. We're try- we, what we need is... is that relationship with God, what's found in his word, understanding who he is. But whether our gods are sex or money or prestige or power, and this is how you can tell if one of those is, is your God. When you're alone, secret, quiet, what do you pray for? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Because you know what? You do worship. Everybody worships. And as soon as that thing that's most important in your life is threatened, whatever that might be, you can be praying. 
That's why there are no, no atheists in the foxhole, right? You, you, you are praying. So when you're alone, you're still, you're quiet, just you and God. What, what takes most of your prayer? That's probably what you're worshiping. Jesus says, we need to have this spirit. So you're back to, okay, how do I get there? Well, that's why I'm pumped about the ultimate challenge. Because it's not, what it is, is it's us getting in the word of God, saying, Jesus, will you show me your identity, your character? He came to reveal God the Father to us. So as we study, I I would guess, I know who he is is going to grow bigger in us. You know, when I was watching the Olympics a while back, I don't know if you remember the, the, the I don't even know the gal's name, Russian uh, figure skater. I couldn't pronounce it if I had it in front of me. Uh, but I remember we watched her in, as a family, and when she got done, you know, we, we, our, we were, our jaws were, and we looked at each other. And that was incredible. Did you see? She jumped up and turned 82 times and fell. It was perfect. It wasn't just beautiful. That was perfect. And she was, that was, that was was incredible. When we say, all right, you guys, we're going to praise God now. Let's stop and think about some things to praise God for. Um, okay, let me think uh, for this, for that. Um, let me think. We didn't have to sit around the TV going, what should we praise her for? Uh, when we saw, when we experienced, you know what? We couldn't not praise. We could not say, this was incredible. Wow. When you know him through his word, you know what? You will praise. You will. You, you cannot not. And so let me uh, ask you. Again, a question I started the, the, the time with this morning. If Jesus came to you now and said, do you really want to learn how to have that vertical communion with the Father? Do you really want that? Because it's going to cost you something. It's going to be a shift in your lifestyle. And I'll teach you if you want. But do you want that? Just between you and God, don't have to answer to us. What would you say? Because if it's like with a lump in your mouth, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. I'm gonna. I, I promise you, if you show me, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna give it everything I've got. I think Jesus would say, "Yeah, okay, let's go, let's go." As we unpack this Lord's prayer further, the next few weeks, that's the goal for myself, for us, that we we raise our level in our communion with with our Father. Would you pray with me, even now?